everybody. I am so excited to be here for a second episode of the Parent Teacher Podcast, Conversations on Parenting Adolescents and Teens. I was pleasantly surprised by the number of downloads we had for the first episode last week, and I was thrilled with the feedback I've received. I'd like to give a special shout out to the listeners who come from Sweden, Denmark, Ireland, Canada, and South Africa. I saw your um, flags pop up on my stats page, and I was really curious about you. I uh, love to have you turning in, and I'm happy to have a vast international audience even now. I'm also happy to let everyone know that this podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts. It is currently being processed and uploaded to Stitcher, Spotify, and Google, and should be available on those platforms shortly as well. Of course, if you can help spread the word, like and share and so on, that would be very helpful at this point. I will probably ask you for ratings eventually, but I thought I should probably get a few episodes out so you actually knew what you were rating. Now, I try to do a few different things here at Parent Teacher Conference. Sometimes I give advice based on what I have seen as a teacher and parent. Other times I try to feature other people who have expertise or unique experience that I think will be helpful. One of the things I also try to do is occasionally feed the souls and hearts of parents. After all, we can't draw water from empty buckets. Parenting is hard enough when we are at our best, but when we are down or discouraged, when we feel like we're running on fumes, it becomes all the more difficult. Today's guest is the first person I thought of when I began to think about trying to help feed the souls and hearts of parents, especially mothers. Although I really believe that anything we talk about today will be useful to fathers, either personally or to file away in case they're in a relationship or partnership with a woman who's helping raise their children. Eliza Thompson has an MSW, that's a master's in social work from Utah State University. She's a certified social worker and is working as a therapist at a private practice where they specialize in perinatal mental health. Eliza's a self-described self-development junkie. She frequently posts and shares thoughts on her journey and other things she learns on her Instagram account, Eliza in Progress. That's one word, Eliza in Progress. Last year, Eliza had some wonderful insights about motherhood, things that she had learned, sort of letters to a younger self, perhaps. She posted those on Instagram, where they got a lot of notice and where they received a lot of positive feedback. I then shared them on my Substack page and they also got a wonderful response there. Eliza also happens to be my sister. I'm certainly very proud of her, but I've found her to truly have remarkable insight. Her curiosity about the world, her openness to ongoing learning and her deep and constant analytical skills, as well as her passion for helping people lead happy, meaningful lives all inform her professional work, but really every facet of her life. Eliza, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Brayden. What an intro. Thank you. So um, Eliza and I joke, maybe this is, you know, boring for all of you, but just a little inside uh, family baseball here. I am the oldest of six and Eliza is the youngest of six. Um, we have joked before that our parents really dodged a bullet because we're sort of, we could be twins. Our our personalities um, are similar. We have a lot of traits. Um, I think that would not have been 
probably a good situation for our parents because both of us are have big feelings and uh, had had somewhat you know t- tempestuous or stormy childhoods on and off. So, um, mom and dad, if you're listening, just understand how lucky you are that you got a sandwich between between some other ones and not not right in a row. Am I is that fair, Eliza? Mm-hmm. Yes, and thank you for paving the way. And I think I got a 2.0 version of parenting with me. So thank you. <laughs> okay, now it's funny. We laugh about that, but that 2.0 version, but I do think that that's actually a really important thing to consider when you're parenting. Um, and I mean, do you want to unpack that idea, what you meant by parenting 2.0 a little bit? Because I think there's some real uh, important truth in that. Yeah, I think you just you learn right as you go and you learn through like you do with anything trial and error and you see you you know you see the mistakes and you see the cost of those and and most good parents adjust and and start to kind of improve on their parenting and they were great parents with you but I know that they did learn and grow from you so I got the I got the advantage there but um yeah I think that's we can apply that to our own parenting right of just seeing it as a progress and those poor oldest children, you know, they're, they're a little bit, um, the guinea pigs, but, but, you know, they also have advantages, um, that, that the younger ones don't either. And just seeing it as, is just learning from our mistakes and, and repairing what we do wrong. And it's just a journey, right. And we can't, we can't be perfect. And that's crazy to expect ourselves to be. So just the best we can do is just improve and, and learn from, our mistakes. I'm assuming that that is partly behind the title of your Instagram account, Eliza in progress. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and what sort of, what has it meant to you and what does it become? That's a great question. I chose that um, because it was not taken first of all on Instagram. (laughs) So let's just get the practicalities out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) but also no there really was a reason it was because I I wanted it was kind of on this journey of self-discovery I started it when I believe I started going back to school and I was just kind of on this whole um yeah journey I'll probably use that word a lot to to figure out who I was and um improve myself and make progress and so I I just liked that idea of like I I am who I am, but I can be, I can be improving and I can, and there's no real destination, right? Like our whole lives, we can be in progress. So that's why I chose it. I really love that. I've noticed that, and I noticed this first with my students, and then I've started thinking about it in in more adult contexts, but um, every year there's at least one student who um, does something, makes a mistake, gets in trouble, whatever you want to say. And their response is, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And, you know, you just, you cannot keep getting after someone who just says, I'm sorry. Um, and, and it's, and, and now I'm talking about an apology, but I guess when I see a student like that, who is open to, responding to the situation differently, um, then suddenly we're not looking so much at discipline. We're looking at learning. We're looking at making progress, um, owning a mistake, and then moving on. And I'm so amazed at how light and how 
easy that is compared to the inevitable student who just can't, won't admit that they did anything wrong. And then that just magnifies everything. But I guess I'm thinking in terms of sort of the static versus the um, open to growth, um, the person who is yeah. determined to, uh, you know, say that they're right and show that they're right. And then the person who is open to learning, I think we probably all have both uh, sides of it, that. I think we probably all have been each of those in different contact contexts. Um, but I think maybe it is really hard and, and I'm not sure, perhaps as we get older, it's even harder to continue to be open to progress. Do you have any thoughts, I guess, that have helped you or that have you've seen help clients or whatever? How can we be open to this constant progress as parents, but as also as humans? Yeah. I, well, one of the thoughts I had when you were talking about the students you see this in was I, I, th I thought of myself when I was a kid and I, and I thought of some of my kids and I, I used to be, well, not used to, I am very sensitive and I got told that a lot by, by siblings. Um, I don't know if you did, but other siblings would not paint it in the most uh, flattering light. It was very, you're so sensitive. And anyway, and I did not receive criticism or teasing or feedback well at all. And that's a big flaw. And I was always ashamed of that. But now in kind of learning more about self-development, I have a lot of um, kind of grace for myself because now I see that characteristic in my own kids again as well as, as a lack of self-compassion, right? It's when people can't own up to their stuff and, and have a hard time taking criticism or feedback it usually indicates, you know, not all the time, but usually it indicates that they're, they have a high shame, um, uh, intolerance and that they're, they lack some self-compassion. And so the more self-compassion I've had and the more grace I've been able to give myself and kind of realistic, um, goals and, and things like that, the better able I am to own up to my mistakes and keep kind of striving for that progress without beating myself up. So self make it makes total sense. So self-compassion is not a, uh, a cop-out or a way to uh, preclude the need mm -hmm. to, to grow. It's not a shield from your mistakes. You're saying that self-compassion is actually a critical first step to growth. Yes, yes hugely. I always start with my clients there. Um, and it, it feels counterintuitive and it feels scary. A lot of us would rather beat ourselves up um, because it feels, it feels like we're in control and it feels like at least we're doing something, at least we're productive. Like, no, we're not meeting our goal, but at least we're, you know, beating ourselves up about it. Like that feels weirdly productive, but really there is research by Kristen Neff. She has a whole book, um, and website on it, but that the more self-compassion people have, the better able they are to reach their goals, the more accountable they are and they just have better outcomes in general. So um, yeah, that really is the first step to, to progressing is not having this crazy perfectionistic ideal and not being yourself up, but just having grace and compassion for yourself is huge. That is really cool. Um, listeners, I will try to put a link to that website and that book in the show notes. I'm still learning some of this interface stuff, but that's wonderful. Liza, what does self-compassion mean? I guess, is it 
looking at what your intent was as well as the impact like what is what is it and what isn't it, it like in real terms how do i learn yeah. to do this with myself got it yeah it's um it's not letting yourself off the hook right it's not, not saying if you yell at your kids it's not saying oh shoot that's fine no big deal right it's saying to yourself, it's treating yourself with kindness, basically, is, is kind of the most simplistic definition. But kind of the best hack, I guess, is thinking of what you would say to a friend or a loved one, right? Like, I once had a therapist tell me, ha had me picture my daughter and what I would say to her if she was struggling with postpartum depression, which I was at the time, and what I would tell her. And it was so beautiful and such a different wow. script than I had been telling myself, right? Myself, it was like, what is your problem? Like, you are such a wimp. What, you are so lazy. You are so broken, blah, blah, blah. I would never in a million years say that to someone I loved, right? I would just have full understanding. I wouldn't let him off the hook, but I would just say, this is hard. This is really hard. And you are trying so hard. And you're doing, you know, the best you can. And I'm with you. I support you. I love you. That's, that's really all it is. It's just showing up for ourselves. Like we would a loved one. So kind of changing that script and that narrative and just being kind and gentle with ourselves. So um, let's talk, this is, I think a good segue. Tell us about your journey a little bit, Lies, and how you have come to this and what's been your pathway. So I, you know, had only ever wanted to be um, a mother and, and a stay-at-home mom, you know, when I think, you know, in junior high, they make you like, what career do you want to do? And it was like, well, I like to dance. So I guess choreographer, I don't know, <laughs> but I really didn't know what I was doing. And that was just to get the seventh grade guidance counselor off my back. I really just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> so I, uh, and I got married young and and then we kind of, you know, blissfully, ignorantly jumped in to parenthood pretty, pretty early into our marriage um, because, yeah, sounds great. Sounds fun. Sounds like just playing house, right? Um, it'll be great. I don't have to, I can quit my job that I don't like. Um, what could, what could go wrong? What could be hard about it, right? Um, I got hit pretty hard immediately. Um, well, actually during pregnancy, but then especially after I had my oldest, my son with postpartum depression. And we were in this little basement apartment with wood paneling, you know, with about two inches of light. It was just literally dark, a very dark time in my life. And I, I think from that moment forward, I just kind of developed, I didn't have that self-compassion and I developed a script about who I was as a mom and kind of my, and defined myself by my flaws and by my inadequacies. And so it was rough. I continued to have kids and, um, but that script began to grow and I, you know, I recovered from the depression, but um, I just, I just kind of kept telling myself the same story that I was that I was broken because I was struggling with motherhood, that something was wrong with me because all the moms around me seemed to love it and be natural at it and seemed to know off the top of their heads, how many cookies their kids could have. I never, I was always like, what, why are you looking at me? What are you talking about? I don't know. Three. I don't know. I would just pull out a number, but, um, 
it just, I just felt so inadequate. It, it seemed, especially being a stay-at-home mom, seemed to really um, hit on all my weaknesses. <laughs> well, with with the model I had seen of motherhood, you know, um, my own mom and my sister and sister-in-laws were amazing moms and are amazing moms. And, but I'm very different from them. And so, you know, I just saw their strengths and compared them to my weaknesses and just really struggled with, with depression and anxiety off and on. Um, yeah, till about six ish years ago. And I kind of decided to do something different. And if you want to get into that, we can, or, or if you have more questions, whatever you need. Well, so let's just pause there. I think um, there's there's some okay. interesting and important things to unpack. Um, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm just, I'm so struck by the idea of that you were comparing your weaknesses to what you saw or, or perceived as other people's strengths because you, yes. and it may not have even been accurate because you weren't in their homes. You didn't see what was happening, but, but yeah, we all do that. But I feel like that's, um, I I'm struck by this because I I've taught now I've been in schools now for like, I think it's about 37 years. And during that time, I've worked with a lot of parents, most of whom have been mothers. And so I've seen young mothers, old mothers. I've seen, you know, very, um, ardent um, stay-at-home mothers to high-powered career women, women um, and, and just kind of everything in between. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I don't mean to say this about everyone, but I am struck by how even very confident, accomplished women seem to feel that they are lacking as a mother. And it it's sad because it's, first of all, it's just doesn't seem true by any metric at all. I mean, they're really amazing people, amazing moms. Um, but it is really, that seems to be a, a really sad, um, I don't know, pandemic of motherhood is is yeah. this self-doubt and comparing, um, you know, your weaknesses again to other strengths. So how did you... Um, I, I also say, I, I will say, I, I do see similar things. I mean, you're talking about things that um, I can actually, as a father, though, I resonate with as well. There's there's times of, yeah. of self-doubt and of, um, and I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm, I may just be a little weird on that, but I do think that that there's a lot of fathers who, who um, have similar journeys, but because we generally, as men, are not prone to talk about things perhaps as much that I don't know that that gets out there, but I guess, you know, to the imperfect parent out there, whatever you are, mother, father, or, or frankly, grandmother or grandfather, teacher, or whomever, um, who to everyone who's out there looking at their weaknesses and comparing them to the perceived virtues of other people. Um, what would you say to that? I mean, I know you can't just fix that in a quick little comment, but Talk to those people for yeah. a bit. Yeah. Okay. First, I would say, don't, you know, going back to the self-compassion, she has three pillars of it that she talks about. And one of them is to not over-identify with, um, well, with anything really, but but especially the negative kind of scripts we have. 
And so I would say that do not over identify with your weaknesses. You know, just because you have depression doesn't mean you are a depressed mom, right? You have depression and it's one thing of many about you. Um, so don't over identify, don't make it your whole thing, your whole script, your whole identity. Um, number two, I would say, um, is just to, to kind of have, a kind of a reality check, right? Do, do a little CBT cognitive behavioral therapy of, Hey, do I know, like you said, this, this is all based on perceptions. We're not at home with this so-called perfect mom, right? We don't know. We're not seeing everything. So it's looks can be deceiving and just kind of go through the logic of that. Like, is this really true that she could be perfect? Like, no, there's no way <laughs> no one's perfect. So, you know, and, and am I comparing my weaknesses to her strengths? Then no, that's not fair. And then also kind of along those lines, um, I just did a post about this, but this is so common for clients to come in, especially with a postpartum kind of mental illness. They'll say, well, what's my problem? Why, why are my neighbors and my sisters and my mom, when I remember back, they seem to be fine. What is my deal? And it's just such an unfair comparison because it's like, well, do they have your genetics? Do they have your background? Do they have your trauma? Do they have your marriage? Do they have your financial um, situation? Do they have your support system? I mean, I could go on and on. There's about a million factors, right? And we don't ever take that into account. So just, again, kind of challenge yourself to think through that logically. And unless they're an identical twin you didn't know about, it's just not a fair comparison. Um, so don't compare. It doesn't do any good. Um, and then I guess I would just say, lastly, to find you do have strengths and find those and develop those and inform kind of your parenting around those. Don't don't, you know, try to be something you're not and follow some model that you have that isn't working for you. Fit it to to what works for you and what you're good at. Now, it occurs to me as, as you're talking, I hope I can even phrase this, we use terms like mother or father, and I'm wondering if it would be better or more healthy if we could come up with an alternative. Um, I am not a dad. I am Brayden, who is parenting, but I'm still Brayden, and I will never be um, wh whoever, Mike Brady or, or Ward Cleaver or anyone like that. Um it just seems to, I, I just, it just hit me how we use this kind of universalist catch-all language in other fields. Like we have learned that it's important actually to use people first language, right? A person with depression or a person who yes. has cancer or whatever. Um, and I, I, I just, that's never occurred to me. I want to think about that, but I wonder if even that flip of language um, would, would help people perhaps realizing that they're still them. This is just one context of their life and like any other they have yeah. strengths and weaknesses um well I, well i you're so good i just love kind of i feel like you you just you've read so much and you're always thinking about things and i think that those tendencies you're you got into self-improvement i think is a way to try to help get out of some of the the darkness you were in yeah. And you started reading widely. You've always been really interested in 
I don't know, personality theories or just things that explain the way people are. So how did you go from kind of an interested, um, you know, well-read um, amateur uh, to, you know, going and, and becoming a professional in this field? Yeah, I, that was a journey. <laughs> I had always been interested in that, um, like you said, but, but, you know, and very much, you know, even at 18 considered the field of social work and, and being a therapist, but it terrified me. I just, I did not have confidence in myself or my abilities. I wasn't ambitious, which, you know, I didn't know at the time, but now I look back at that was just purely protective. Um, cause I was just scared of taking a chance and, and risking something and putting myself out there. So I always had wanted to do it kind of, it was kind of this distant dream, but I just didn't believe in myself and, and just raised my kids and, and felt fine about it until I kind of had this crossroads moment. Um, I had had my fourth and she was probably one and I, rem I had, we had moved recently and I was just struggling. I had been doing so well depression wise for a few years, but I, I, it was kind of back again and worse than ever. So I was journaling, um, like I do when I'm really upset, need to process. And so I was journaling something. And for some reason I, I turned back some pages and was just reading old entries, which oof, is brutal, um, for your self image, but this, this was actually good and productive because, because that it was brutal, but it really clarified to me. It just was like, I could copy and paste this. It was handwritten, but I could copy and paste every entry. Like I could have predicted every entry was, oh, I'm really struggling. Motherhood's so hard. I feel so bad at it. And it just was kind of this moment of like, what are you doing? Like, you know, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, but expecting different results. It, it just was like that. It was like, I have been feeling this way for such a long time. I need, something needs to change. And so I um, kind of started looking into things and, and again, was still terrified, but I decided to just do one. I'd made a goal <clears throat> to just do one baby step because it, it freaked me out to be like, you know, if I started to think about it, it was like, well, I've got to finish my bachelor's and I have to do a master's and I don't even know if I'll be a good therapist and all of that. But I, um, I, I couldn't get too far ahead or I would not do anything. So I literally, my first goal was just to call a college and ask about credits. Cause it had been 15 years. I think if, if my credits were still good, but that was just the first step, call an advisor. And I did. And then I got registered and I just kept doing those baby steps and here I am. And it took six years <laughs> to do all that, but I'm now graduated and um, doing what I love. I love it so, so much. And yeah, it's just, it's my passion and what I've always wanted to do, but was scared to do it. And I've learned so much and yeah, I'm so grateful. I took that step. I think too, now I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But in in be based on other conversations with you, um, I believe you feel that pursuing this uh, path, which is a pretty big part of who you are as a, it's this is just a big part of your identity, has also made you a better mother. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yes. 
Like yeah, it wasn't a conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh-uh. no, it's made me happier and more fulfilled. And um, which just has, you know, uh, great effects, right, on on who we're around. And no, I don't regret it at all. Um, I think it's been totally worth it and made it has absolutely made me a better person in general and a better mom. So, I mean, someone out there may be struggling. It's not that you need to take a, you know, a six-year um, uh, course of study and go get a new major or certification or job or right. something. Um, but but there probably is something out there that would provide um, more meaning, something that will fill up a, a hole in your soul or help, um, yeah. help build your identity. And then with that, chances are you'll have a stronger um, platform personally and a little more emotional reserves. And then you can be probably a more engaging, attentive parent. That's at least been my own experience. Yeah. And watching you, that's certainly what's seen. Well, so Liza, let's on that note, let's talk about these specific posts. Um, okay. I mean, we all know like motherhood is very difficult. There's there's cultural pressures. There's, I mean, there's like any number of, of from just, you know, biological um, complexities. I mean, to, to postpartum, like to chemicals, just, and again, to social expectations and family dynamics. So um you you found some I, I don't know I think it was five different things that you had learned and you shared them and I might be wrong I feel like I was remembering it was sort of in the format of here's what I wish I had known or here's what I would tell my younger self I may be wrong about that but you shared them and it it seemed to really strike a nerve like I just remember watching the comments and, and people shared them and, and there was, it just really struck home. So can you take us through what these kind of five critical things that you learned were? Absolutely. So uh, the first one is, is pretty much what we've been talking about. And that is um, that what is good for me is good for my kids. I think we struggle with that um, as parents. I, I would say maybe especially as moms, we're kind of handed a narrative that motherhood equals, or being a good mother equals being selfless, right? And I have strong feelings about that word. <laughs> like I get that, you know, it, it can be a worthy thing to not be selfish, but I really don't love selfless because literally without a self, right? That's really problematic to me. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I ascribe to that uh, same narrative. And so I thought, okay, I guess I just have to not be who I am, right, anymore and just kind of stick to this very, um, you know, gender role um, and just pretty stereotypical idea of what a good mom is. And it didn't fit me at all. And so through this journey of going back to school and, and just figuring out my strengths and not beating myself up so much for my weaknesses, I just have seen, like we talked about, that what is good for me, what has led to my happiness, what has led to my growth, what has led to my fulfillment, just makes me a better person, which always, always affects how we parent, right? So that has been huge. Um, and and so, you know, that, like you said, that doesn't need to look like going back to school. That can look like taking breaks. That can look like, you know, finding a hobby, um, asking for more support. But 
we're, we're not doing anyone any good by being burned out and being hard on ourselves. That's just going to come out in frustration, resentment, and all sorts of other ways that are damaging. And so if we can just work on ourselves and, and figure out what's good for us, you know, using, I think people are scared of it too, because they think that means to indulge, you know, into um, maybe their weaknesses. And I don't mean that. I don't, I'm not saying go be selfish and never consider your kids, but use your values and your integrity as the guardrails on that. Um, you know, don't just indulge every fantasy and weakness, but, but use your values and figure out what, what will bring you good in the long term, and that will always positively impact your kids. I love what you said about, you know, the the word selfless, while we do use it in a positive way, I mean, it literally means without a self. And your children, our children, are relying on someone to be there for them. And in order to do that, we have to have a self. Um, they, they don't yeah. They don't need a selfless person. They need a real person. What would I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there a word you prefer that uh, instead of selfless? Yeah, I I haven't. I've thought about that. I think unselfish is fine. I I don't even super love that. Um, I I guess I kind of just love the positive version of of what I'm going for, right. which is someone with integrity, right? Someone with with values um, that's living their values. So I I think that's enough. I don't think you need to put yourself on the altar to, to be a good person. I think integrity, a sense of integrity is very much using your sense of self to, to be a good person. So yeah, I, I don't have, you know, a quick exchange of a word, but I like the concept more of having integrity. Love that lies. So, um, I was going to say when I was going to do my doctoral work. I worked all day long. I taught school in New York City schools. And then I had a couple hour train and bus ride to get to NYU at the night for the night. It was the education class were all night classes. And so every day I had to leave the house. I mean, it was really early. I feel like it was usually around six or so leaving the house. And, you know, I never would get home before 11. I mean, if I got home by 11, that was really a good night. And it was so, I mean, what I was doing was difficult because it's working as hard and going to school is hard. But then also just, I was always on a bus and always on a train. And I just, it was really difficult time for me, really kind of a bleak time. Um, I couldn't do much else. Like I just structurally was not able to go do a hobby or things like that. But I found if I could buy a, or not buy, but I'd go to the library and I'd buy, or check out a book, um, and if I could read the book on the train or um, just even for like 10 minutes before bed, there was something really magical about that. And suddenly I didn't feel like I was trapped. Um, I felt like I was me a little more. And and even a small dose of that went a really long way. So I I, I just, I really believe in, in what you're saying there. Love that. That's a perfect example of how you can just insert your individuality into your very full, busy life. It makes a huge difference. And when you say integrity, you're using the full meaning. You're, you don't just mean honesty, like we sometimes use it. You're, you're talking oh, about like, right. when we would say like structural. And integrated. Integrated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your values and your actions matching and being whole, right? And 
and aligning in a way that makes you integrated. Um, you have integrated both of those yeah, pieces of you. So talk about the next things you learned. So the next one was that my time and energy were finite and had equal value to my husband's. So this is a concept I learned from a book called Fair Play that I love and highly recommend. She talked about this. She introduced this concept that, that in society, we kind of, we see men's time and energy as, as finite and we value it. And we see women's time and energy as infinite and we don't value it. And so that was just that concept alone was so mind-blowing and really shifted for me. Um, and in my marriage, how we did things. So I wish I had learned that sooner because I, looking back, was very um, protective of his time and energy, which is great if both partners are doing that, right? But but we were both looking out for him <laughs> and that didn't work great. And it just made me resentful. And, um, and, and you know, the, the con for him is that we you know, when moms do this, we rob our husbands of, or our partner of, of time spent with their kids, right. Of, of that investment of that, um, knowledge, like they've, you know, a lot of us think that moms just have this intuition and are good at being able to handle a fussy baby and know just what to do, but really they've shown that that's just pure time. That's just, that's just developed by being around the baby more. And so if your husband's around or your partner's around more, they will develop that too. And so um, I wish I had done that. I wish I had had him wake up in the night with our colicky acid reflux babies. I wish um, that we had just been more, more equal that way and had been partners. Yeah. I think that would have helped a lot and saved us a lot of resentment and things that we had to undo years later. Well, in addition, it seems to me, you mentioned that, you know, the positive of that is that um, it, it does give the husband, father um, more connection um, with, with some yes. really special things. But I I'd also, I'm assuming would also probably would also increase the level of, of connection and intimacy in the marriage. Um, just that, that it'll feel more like a team and that you're, you're really right. pulling toward the same thing. So that's great. Yeah in it together. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I think with all of these things, although you correct me if I'm wrong, there's not a magic wand. There's no, um, silver bullet. It's, it's all like, right. we do this by sitting down and talking and then probably getting things wrong and then readjusting and talking again. And it, it's just kind of a constant iterative process that it's not like you're going to fix something with just one conversation or something like that. Right. Yeah. 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 That's true. It, it It's a process. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's still ongoing for me and my husband and um, it's, it's a constant kind of evolvement. So yeah, you're, that's true to point that out. Um, you want you, me to go to number three? Yeah, why don't you jump to that? Okay. So the third one is that I could define motherhood based on my strengths. Again, we've, we've kind of, we've touched on this. Um, but I, again, I compared myself to people around me um, with completely different personalities. And um, I came out short, right, in the comparison. And I remember, you know, my sister was really um, 
she was a great seamstress and would and creative and she would make these darling themed costumes for her kids for Halloween. And so I just thought, okay, I'm a mom. I guess that's what we do because I admired her. And so I tried, I, I, I don't sew at all. Um, so I actually ended up <laughs> having, well, this was for Christmas pajamas. Another thing I tried, I actually had her sew my kids pajamas, which was really great of me. Um, anyway, but I just, it stressed me out. I tried to do it as simple as I could. And I was, it just, it stressed me out and overwhelmed me. Um, and so it was like one year I couldn't, I was, I was sick or something. And so I just delegated it to my husband and he went and bought, you know, Spider-Man and whatever, but these store-bought costumes. And it was like, oh, can you do that? Weird. Like it had never occurred to me. And so that wasn't my strength and that's okay. And so just basing again, motherhood on what you are good at. And obviously you need to push yourself on things you're not good at, but when it comes to Halloween costumes, who cares, right? It, that's not something I'm going to die on a hill for. So just stop burning yourself out, out, stop trying to, to compare yourself with others and use what you're naturally good at. You know, and I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on like gender roles and things. Cause that is so complex. And that's like, I mean, that's not a podcast. That's, you know, that there's a lot there. But one thing I do want to point out, I have noticed is um, a lot of times um, I feel like men, husbands kind of get mocked for for doing the easy way or, or being like lazy or this or that. But I, I want to highlight that in this case, his instinct was right. Yeah. Like, we don't need to mess with this. This is not that important. Yeah. So I, but I do hear this a lot. I, I hear frequently kind of men will just sort of be a little mocked or belittled. And I hear it in real life and on TV shows and stuff, but I just do think sometimes there is an instinct to pare down what isn't essential. Um, and to, yeah. to, and I think that can be a really useful trait for anyone, male or female, but I think there's actually a virtue in being really careful with how you invest, what you invest your time in. So. Okay. So keep, keep going. So that was okay. based on your strengths, not on yes. what other people's strengths were. Can yes. you give an example of what you, something you did that was a strength? Like, so that was a weakness. I am good at. Yeah. Well, I know um, that's a good question. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I, you know, cause we're all people with strengths and weaknesses. I have a lot, right. But I had never focused on those. So I was doing those. I just wasn't recognizing. Cause it was just like, that's supernatural to me. Um, so kind of examples of that are, I'm very empathetic and understanding. And I didn't, you know, I didn't place any value on that. I didn't even see it as a thing. It just was something that came naturally to me. And now it's like, I'm, I need to give myself credit for that. That's a great um, skill, right? I, I'm good at teaching my kids kind of emotional regulation skills and, and talking about our feelings and things like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I am good at simplifying, you know, when I don't get in my own way, but for the most part, I am good at just knowing, you know, what I prioritize and, and just putting my energy towards that. So those are just some examples of Things I had always done, I just hadn't ever given myself credit for. So as as parents, we we maybe need to spend a little more time naming what our strengths are. 
because it, it may be that yeah. we're doing things that are really good, but we may not even count them as strengths since it's just what we are and yeah. we, what we do. I love that. Yes. Um, so the next one was that regulating my emotions and healing my wounds were more effective than 20 parenting books. That's obviously just kind of, um, yeah, maybe an exaggeration, but I had read so many parenting books and, and I think there's a place for them. I think they can be helpful, um, especially for, you know, potty training or a specific topic you really want to learn more about, but I, I think they're helpful if you have enough of a sense of self and enough of um, kind of discretion, I guess, for you to know, okay, like maybe this author doesn't, isn't the end all be all and doesn't, you know, know everything about me and my child. And maybe I'll just apply what I can. I didn't approach it like that. I approached it like this author is the expert and I have to do everything they say. And um, it just made me more confused. It made it way more complicated. Um, and it made me doubt myself. I, I would, you know, go to kind of go with my instinct and then I think, oh, okay, let's see how, how would I, how do I validate, but not, you know, how do I praise their effort, but not, you know, um, how do I acknowledge who they are and their emotions without making them, you know, dependent on that, whatever. It just, it made it so, complicated and I just have found that again kind of similar themes but when I focus on myself when I go to therapy when I learn how to emotionally regulate um, when I'm a better version of myself when I'm happier when I'm more fulfilled I am a better parent and I just like it kind of boils down to that and it simplifies things um, and you know because so much of our reactions to our kids, so much of the problems that we have um, in parenting are really more about us than about our kids, right? It's, it kind of activates something in us. Um, and again, it's just usually about us, not about the kid. So where do you go? You should go to the source. You should figure out yourself first. And again, go to therapy, read books, figure out how to regulate your own emotions and anxiety. And that will just, that will have such huge positive impact journaling was a big part of that for you too so that's a cheap and readily yeah. available thing one yeah thing. um yes I, I think also i'm i'm really big on like trying to get like you know talk to your spouse your partner um you know talk to your neighbor talk to your, like people can sometimes give you really good insight you can get a lot of perspective yeah. even if they, they don't know the whole picture um they can sometimes give you enough to kind of get you started. What are your triggers? What seems to really upset you? So, um, yeah. okay. So, so, so let's kind of, so the first one was that, um, remind me the first one. So let's uh, agree. What, that what's good, okay. That what's good for me is good for my kids. The second one was my time and energy were finite and had equal value to my husband's. The third one was that I could define motherhood based on my strengths the fourth was regulating my emotions and healing my wounds were more effective than parenting books and the fifth one is is kind of similar to um, some of them but that I could develop my sense of self and define myself outside of motherhood I I got the message that womanhood equaled motherhood and I didn't know you could be an individual right I, I just 
if you're a woman, you're a mom, and and this is our very, you know, kind of prescriptive ideal of what a mom looks like, which I didn't fit. And um, so again, going to school and figuring out who I was and what I was good at was just so expanding and so it made such a difference. And and again, back to concepts we've talked about, I just I wish I had known sooner that I could um that my individuality could define my motherhood and and I had been doing it the reverse right I I was trying to be to fit my individuality into motherhood where I wish I would have defined motherhood based on who I was um because I just would have been so much better off and I have been so much better off since I have done that I just also think it's got to be, I mean, just unquestionably, there's more for the kids. There's more, it's more interesting. It's probably more fun. It's more, they're going to learn more. They're going to develop better. Like it, I, I think that's the other thing is it, it yeah. I don't see a downside in any of this. There's sort of no one who's hurt. Um, it all. Right. Really Plus, yeah. It, sorry to cut you off, but it, it diversifies. I feel like you're, your identity and your happiness that that is good because so often I see even if motherhood has been a great experience for you and you you're a natural at it um that role shifts and changes quite a bit right and I see so many empty nesters who are struggling to know who they are and um so this is kind of protection against that of like this just diversifies your options so that you have kind of a broader foundation to lean on when things inevitably go, you know, uh, different than you planned. When a child doesn't turn out how you want or had pictured, right? When, when your when your role of motherhood changes and you're not as involved, um, or for me, like when motherhood isn't fitting, you know, you're not feeling good about about it. So it just, it just helps you to figure out, again, mother is a piece of you and it's a great piece of you, but it's not all of you. And you can, you know, kind of expand your horizons and broaden your idea of yourself. And it just like, and, and to your point of it just helps everyone. It also helps your kids because that's a lot of pressure that we put on our kids. If they feel like they are responsible for our identity, right? That that's really um, that's a lot of pressure and, and not super healthy. And so the more we can kind of show them, Hey, like I'm fine. Like, yeah, obviously you, you impact me and I impact you, but I don't need you to be a certain way or whatever, because I know who I am, no matter what you do. This was on the path of least resistance in my life. Um, just kind of had kids. Cause that's what you do. It sounded great. Um, I just was not, intentional and I did not think through things. Um, and so that has been a huge shift. It's just really thinking through and, and, you know, and some of them, you know, if you're like me, you don't realize that till you already have the kids, right. And it's like, oh, okay, but this is, it is what it is. What do I do now? But you absolutely can still choose, right. You really do have options. Um, you really could give them up, right. If, if it came to that, you could, leave you could do a bunch of and I know those are super extreme but those really you really do have choices and so really looking at those and and saying well who who do I want to be again using that integrity and those values who what kind of parent do I want to be how do I want to show up 
in my life? What, what am I, you know, what kind of person do I want to be eventually? Like, what am I aiming for? And, and okay, I'm going to choose this because it will further that, you know, kind of vision I have of myself and, and what I want with my values. So that is it, it just, if someone does that, that is, that makes an enormous, enormous, um, impact and because it's just a lot more empowering right if you feel like you have a choice then then just feeling like I'm a victim of my circumstance um sometimes you don't have great choices right but but you can you still can choose and it's um, a much more empowering kind of agentic decisive uh frame work than than just like oh it is what it is i can't do anything i love yeah, the I word love agentic i've never heard that word and i really like that word agentic i love it yeah, um, yeah. so anything you want to you know you've been so generous with your time you're, you've got a lot going on anything you want to just uh, anything any closing thoughts or things to wrap up or tie together or that you meant to say a minute ago and or something like that yeah i think kind of the theme is you know, just, just customizing, customizing, um, parenting to who you are and, um, having self-compassion, choosing, making very intentional choices, using your values and integrity as kind of the, uh, guardrails and, um, structure. And, and yeah, I love your point of just finding more joy. And again, I think that comes down to infusing more of yourself into things um, and and doing things that are good for you. Um, that's, yeah, that's kind of all that comes to mind. Wonderful. Well, Lise, thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank and you. Yep. Thank you everyone for spending a little time with us again on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. Um, again, Eliza will often share her thoughts um, on her Instagram account, Eliza in progress. Again, one word, E-L-I-Z-A in progress. And again, thanks for joining us. Um, I would be so grateful if you could help spread the word about the podcast. I'm hoping to be able to post these about once a week. We'll have to see. Um, it's still a little new, so I'm trying to kind of figure out the cadence of all this. But um, until then, uh, looking forward to talking to you again. But until then, happy parenting, everyone. You have definitely got this.